The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. This episode is called Stupid Is As Stupid Does, which is, of course, from Forrest Gump, but it's also a little bit of a play on words with the stupid. (laughs) Because, you know, back in the day, we were called stewardesses. I personally still like the term, you know, it had a little more glamour to it than flight attendant. And, you know, we were also called stews. And I realized there's a lot of words that have stew in it, like stupid, stupor, <laughs> and even stupendous. So this episode is all about stories where people were acting just a little bit uh, stupid. <laughs> and one story at the end of the episode that is stupid. It was sent in by a listener, and I just loved it. So I just also have to apologize quickly for the last episode. The last episode was about offensive stories, and a lot of people were really (laughs) offended by that cat out of the window story. The story about the pilot throwing the cat out the window. And I have to tell you, I do not believe that story was true. I ask people, co-workers, lots of times strangers, for stories. And I get all kinds of stories. And I would say 95% of them are straightforward, honest, true stories, most of the time things that have happened to them. But I think there's a small percentage that are a little bit of uh, BS, you know, or urban legends, people just repeating stories they've already heard. So I don't know what I'm getting. I don't ever do a lie detector test or anything. I don't let anybody sign anything. And when I was listening to the story, I was, first of all, surprised. The last thing I expected was a story about a captain throwing a cat out the window. (laughs) So as I was listening to it, I didn't think it was true. And uh, and it also had a punchline. So it was funny. And I was taking it for what I thought it was. And it upset a whole bunch of people. (laughs) So all you cat lovers out there, I don't think anybody threw the cat out the window because... How do you explain to the person later? And I think the guy would have gotten a lot of trouble if he threw a cat out the window. So anyway, this episode doesn't have any kind of stories like that. <laughs> Let's get on to the uh, stupid stories. <laughs> the first one's about me being a little stupid while I was traveling. So we were in Nicaragua and we wanted to go to this island in the Caribbean, a Nicaraguan island called Little Corn. And uh, there's a big corn island and a little corn island and little corn from what we had seen on the internet. And there was a little bit in our guidebook about it. it looked like, you know, Gilligan's Island, nothing but swaying palm trees and crystal clear water. So we had um, taken a flight to big corn. And then in order to get to little corn, you had to take a boat that like skipped across the water. It was like, bah, 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 bah. and uh, it was so much fun that boat. You got wet. We saw flying fish as we were going. It was about a, a 30 minute 
skipping boat ride from big corn to little corn. So we arrive on little corn and we get to this, I guess it's their dock and it's where the boat arrived. And there's a bunch of locals standing there. And um, I guess it's a big deal when the boat comes each day. So we say to the people, um, can we get a, a taxi to Casa Iguana? And uh, all the people just started laughing at us. And we're thinking, oh, you know, I think that was the name of the hotel. We get out our guidebook to look, you know, and, and we're like, yes, yes, yes. We want a taxi to Casa Iguana. <laughs> they just don't keep laughing at us. And the, they all sort of part ways. And this guy comes forward with a, a wiggle barrel. And he's like, Casa Iguana. <laughs> it turns out there are not only no taxis on the island. There are no cars. So here we are, these uh, stupid Americans or silly Americans, whatever you want to say, asking for a taxi on an island that has no cars. <laughs> so now he's standing there, he's pointing at the wheelbarrow and he's going, Casa Iguana. And so we're looking at each other. We're thinking, are we supposed to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> It turned out the wheelbarrow was for our luggage. And then he put our luggage in the wheelbarrow. We followed him. We walked through the forest and we got to our hotel. <laughs> There's half a dozen training airplanes in the pattern. And on many airplanes, military type airplanes, there's a button that you either pull or push. If you pull it back, you're talking on the interphone system within the cockpit. If you push it forward, you're <clears throat> transmitting on the radio. Well, there's a lot of things you're not supposed to do on the radio, and one of them is to is to use foul language. And and there's these half a dozen planes flying around in the pattern. Each one's got a student and an instructor in it, and who knows what happened? The student did a, did goofed up on the landing, or did something wrong, or didn't level off when he was supposed to. And over on the radio, you know, certainly the student was thinking he was pulling back and talking just to his instructor, but he broadcasts on the radio. I'm sorry, sir. I guess I effed up. <laughs> and the person in the tower, you know comes on and goes because they didn't know who made that call sign normally you start off with who you are and then but it was a mistake is that i'm sorry so i guess i effed up tower comes tower controller comes on and says aircraft making last transmission identify yourself because it could have been any one of the six of them and there was this pause and a pause and some somebody else then keys their mic and goes he said he effed up not that he was stupid I have a story on my last Cancun flight. I've been flying so long, I can't believe that I haven't heard this one. Cute little guy sitting there in first class with a little hat on. And I went up to him and I said, sir, would you like a cocktail before dinner? And he says, yes, I think I would. Well, I said, okay. Well, what kind of cocktail would you like? And he thought for a moment. And he said, I think I'll have shrimp. <laughs> So you all know that our beverage carts are really heavy and 
I know that you don't have enough space in your seat, so your arms and elbows and legs and feet are always in the aisle. So when I'm pulling up the cart, I'm always like, watch the cart, watch the cart, watch the cart, watch the cart. I sound like a tram car, but I don't care. I just don't want to hit anybody. So the other day, I was really tired. It was an all-night flight, and I hadn't gotten a lot of sleep, and um, I was just tired. And I was halfway through the cabin going, watch the cart, watch the cart, watch the cart, watch the cart, when I realized I don't have a cart. <laughs> I was just walking through the cabin. It was dark, and there were arms and legs and stuff. And I was saying, watch the cart, watch the cart, watch the cart. And it was just me. I got halfway up the cabin. I just stood there and started laughing. Nobody even seemed to be paying attention, but <laughs> saying, watch the cart. Got no cart. Brother-in-law of mine, the pilot, uh, he related the incident of these uh, these two brothers who were on the maintenance crew. One was in Seattle, and the other was based in Minneapolis. And uh, they had a maintenance problem one day, and uh, of course, one of the pastors noticed it and came became a little bit concerned. And was asking, you know, what's that fella yeah. doing out there on the wing? It was it was a 727, and uh, so the. When the maintenance guy came in, uh, the pastor talked to both the pilot and the maintenance guy, you know, saw him and said, geez, you know, that what's going on out there? It's not a problem, ma'am. He said, uh, I'm going to go back out there and go to work on that wing. And he said, I would just appreciate it if you'd pass the word forward make sure that they don't push back with me still on the airplane, you know, standing out there on the wing. So, okay. And she's staring out the window and quite concerned about it. Anyway, he disappears from view before they push back. And she's, you know, she didn't see him get down, but he wasn't standing there. Okay. So anyway, they push back, and away they go. And the flight crew's in on it. The twin brother in Minneapolis gets the phone call from his brother and says, Now listen, when you get there, when this plane arrives, you know, you got to do this. So they pull up to the gate. From behind the airplane, he drives one of the ground service vehicles up there. Climbs back up on the wing, he's got his hair roughed up, his hat's gone, he's kind of all askew, and he comes stumbling back up to the uh, to the entry door, and he's really looking for this gal because they know what seat she's in. You know, yeah, she was totally blown away by this whole thing. I told you not to let him push back until I was off the airplane. And you really mean blown away? Yes, indeed. Yes, and yeah, yeah, he was blown away. So you're going to tell a story? We're here, yes, I'm tell a story. We're here in Maui. That's what the background music is. Well, uh, when I first started flying, I was flying from L.A. to San Francisco and then back to L.A. As we're flying up there, one of the flight attendants comes up to the cockpit, and she looks over the left-hand side and says, what's that big body of water? And since she was based on the East Coast, I kindly said, well, that's the Pacific Ocean. And she said, wonderful. That's thanks. Thanks a lot. We land, we turn around, and no kidding, we're coming back to L.A. She comes back up in the cockpit and says, well, what's that body of water on the right-hand side? And I said, that's Pacific Ocean. She said, why are pilots so mean? That was on the left side, not the right. I make these silly, crazy Christmas cards every year. I've been doing it for too many years to count. And uh, it gets more and more challenging every year because I don't have any kids or animals. So I 
it always involves a photo, and I don't do any photoshopping, so it always involves me doing something stupid, silly, crazy uh, for Christmas. And because I was going to Easter Island last November, I thought, well, surely I can get a good Christmas card photo on Easter Island. I thought to myself, well, I'll bring my Santa hat because I can take a picture of me in front of the big Moai, the famous statues, for my Christmas card photo. At one point, I thought about bringing um, Easter bunny ears because of the whole Easter Island thing, but then I thought, oh, I've got too much stuff to carry anyway. So I bring this the Santa hat, and uh, I had been talking to people about, like, what could I do on Easter Island for my Christmas card photo? And somebody said, oh, I think I saw a comic many years ago where I had um, all the statues uh, with their heads in the sand and the other side up, and it said uh, Keister Island. Because, like, on the East Coast, Keister is another word for your your tush, your rear end, your bum, whatever you want to call it, a keister. So I thought, oh, that's perfect. I will take a picture of me in a Santa hat with my tush sticking out, and I'll say, Merry Christmas from Keister Island. <laughs> so I was so happy to have it done because it's a big stress every year thinking what I'm going to do. So I'm thinking, yay, I'm going to do the whole Keister Island thing. It's a done deal. It's easy. It's good. It's different. Who else has a, you know, a Keister Island <laughs> Christmas card photo. So I do all this. I get, you know, I was there by myself. So I get strangers to take pictures of me with my tush sticking out with my Santa hat on. And I, I get my cards already. I send them out. And let me tell you, that card went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> Apparently, a whole heck of a lot of people have never heard of Easter Island. <laughs> and people don't know what the word keister means. <laughs> So I got these calls saying, um, oh, did you have fun on uh, Keister Island? <laughs> I actually thought I went to a place called Keister Island. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then people said things like, but why are you sticking your bum out in the picture? <laughs> and then other people were like, oh, how did you like Keister Island? <laughs> so anyway. My Christmas card photo this year <laughs> was a complete loss. The whole thing was stupid. <laughs> I'm favorite PA. I would never do it again because I'd probably get in trouble if I ever did this again. But back in the good old days, 727, uh, I'm the engineer, and... Uh, we had this wonderful trip that go up to Edmonton, stay overnight, come back. Same flight attendants, and we flew the same crew every week. Same flight attendants, same pilots. We always met for dinner. We always flew back together. Just a great crew. Now, good old days. But I'm the new guy. I'm on probation. I've only been around for about three or four months. And the um, captain and the first officer were always pulling the flight attendants' chain. You name it, they're always pulling their leg, doing something. Uh, they just weren't trustable, you know, just typical pilots. So we get up to Edmonton. We're having dinner. It had been a gorgeous day. Crystal clear. You can see for a 1,000 miles. And uh, we'd flown right over Jackson Hole. Could see the Grand Tetons and whatnot. And the uh, uh, first officer asked the flight tons, oh, did you see the Grand Tetons today? They were gorgeous. And they said, no, we were busy working the back serving meals. He goes, oh, that's too bad. Well, and of course you know what Grand Teton means, don't you? And they go, well, no, we don't. And he goes, well, I'm not saying. And they go, why not? They look at the captain. The captain goes, I didn't start this. 
uh, line of thought, I'm not saying. And I looked up and I goes, guys, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's French for large breasts. <laughs> and the flight attendants look at me and going, yeah, right. I said, no, honestly, it is. I said, no, we don't believe you. And I said, no, remember, those are the guys you can't trust. I'm the new guy. I don't, I, I'm still a nice guy. And they said, no, they've correct, corrupted you. We don't believe you. I said, okay, fine. Well, the next day we're flying back and we're going over the Grand Tetons. And I have my standard PA. They're 14,000 feet tall. And we're over Jackson, Wyoming. We should be in Salt Lake in a few minutes. And all of a sudden, ding, I pick up the phone. I go, yeah, what's up? And flight attendant says, gee, why don't you tell the folks what Grand Teton means? I go, okay. So I hung up, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, we had a request in the back for some more information on the Grand Tetons. The Grand Tetons, as I said, you know, 14,000 feet tall, first seen, uh, seen by uh, white Europeans back in the early 1800s, French, French fur trappers they were, and they named them the Grand Tetons because they were very, very lonely men. And Teton means breast in French. But as you can see, they've been fr away from civilization for a long time because there are three major peaks. And I hung it up. I had all four flight attendants in the cockpit in 30 seconds saying, we can't believe you just said that. And then I started thinking about it going, uh-oh, are they mad, upset? She goes, no, they're Canadians. They love it. you're on a flight and all that it takes to make a flight attendant happy is just somebody to say thank you and no thank you so i had uh, three passengers uh, on board they were three females grandmother mother and a granddaughter and the granddaughter was pretty rambunctious and she was jumping up and down in her seat uh we started the meal the drink service and uh she was uh, screaming she wanted a 7-Up, 7-Up, and we weren't even to her row yet. Um, I want a 7-Up, I want a 7-Up. We're a couple rows ahead of her, still screaming about wanting this 7-Up. So finally we get to the row, and the flight attendant uh, is asking the grandmother, who's sitting on the aisle seat, what would you like to drink? Uh, at the same time, the little girl's going, I want a 7-Up, I want a 7-Up. And the flight attendant decided to ignore her until she got to that seat and got to the mother, what would you like to drink? And the mother gave her order. Same time, simultaneously, the little girls, I'd like a 7-Up, I want a 7-Up. So finally, the flight attendant uh, got the 7-Up for the little girl and said, what's the magic word? And the little girl didn't know what the flight attendant was implying, uh, but the grandmother and the mother looked at each other, very baffled and bewildered, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, they looked at each other, and they looked up at the flight attendant, and they said, Abracadabra? <laughs> I got an email from a listener named Peggy, and she wrote that, you know, passengers can have some pretty funny stories, too. So she told this story in the email that she had been flying from San Juan, Puerto Rico, to Miami, and when they were about 15 minutes out over the water, the pilot made a PA saying they had lost an engine and they were going to have to go back to San Juan and they'd have to make an emergency landing. But he did reassure them that the plane could do just fine with the remaining engine. So they go back to San Juan and the flight attendants are preparing the cabin for emergency landing. So they're telling the passengers how to brace for landing, about going down the slides. And they went through the cabin and they collected everyone's shoes. Now, 
every airline has a different policy on that. My airline tells the passengers to put their shoes in the seat pocket in front of them. This airline obviously collects them in a bag. The whole point is so that a hard sold shoe or a high heeled shoe doesn't puncture the slide and make the slide and the exit unusable. So they collected all the shoes in a bag and, you know, they were very professional, but they were still shook up themselves. And maybe because of that, they forgot one important thing. They didn't make the PAs in Spanish. And many of the people from Puerto Rico, they only spoke Spanish. So they landed safe and sound in Puerto Rico. Everything was fine. They didn't have to go down the slides. But this lady sitting behind Peggy said in this loud, puzzled voice in Spanish, are we back in San Juan? And Peggy was thinking, does she think that they collect the shoes on every flight? <laughs> she had no clue what was going on. Maybe she thought they were collecting the shoes for gas money. <laughs> this happened when I was in the military. We were flying a P-3 at Moffett Field, California, near San Jose. And I was the aircraft commander, and the other guy was a pilot flying. We were doing touch and goes. And normally I'm the kind of person who uh, thinks of a quick comeback two weeks after uh, I've been uh, uh, insulted or uh, played, you know, a joke's been played on me or whatever. But th for some reason this day I was on because there was a female controller. And I have to admit she was good. But uh, she also knew that she was good. And uh, the guy might have put the gear down a little bit early, but it was okay. And but anyway, she calls up and says, uh, Sierra Foxtrot 01, is there any reason why your wheels are down? And I said, yes, ma'am, there is. We discovered that over the years that it tends to cushion the landing considerably. <laughs> and, of course, I heard the, uh, the guys in the background just give a great laugh. And I think we were in uh, uh, L.A. before we got cleared to come around and land. But that's, that's my aviation story. This next story is not Stu Pid. It is Stu Pendus. I plan on doing a whole episode of stupendous stories, but uh, this here's one to wet your whistle. This comes from a listener named Chris, and she wrote to me that early in the year 2000, myself and our two children were returning from a flight from Lambert Field in St. Louis to Los Angeles. We'd been visiting relatives, and as happy as we were to visit, it'd be a lie to say we weren't also excited about going home. So on the flight, on the way home, the seating chart had me and my son sitting closest to the window, and there was one seat left on the aisle, and my husband sat directly in front of us with our daughter. My son was reading a book. Well, actually, he was reading the Encyclopedia of Animals. The man who just sat down next to my son asked what he was reading, and that was it. I heard less than three words from my son for the next hour of the flight. They were burning through the pages of this book, and the guy seemed really knowledgeable. Well, an hour into the flight, which was a night flight, my son decided he wanted to go to sleep. So he leaned his head over on my lap, but his feet were really jammed into the middle seat. So without fanfare or a word, this very nice gentleman grabbed our son's shoes and plopped them into his own lap so that her son could lay down flat and sleep easier. I was very thankful and told him he, he was going way above and beyond. So, we land in LAX and start packing to get off the plane. And this man says to my son, Jake, uh, give me your book. And he whipped out a pen from his own overhead luggage and wrote, Animals rule. Good on you for learning early. Steve Irwin. See, 
you never know who you're going to sit next to on a plane. That story just touched me so much because just in case there's anybody out there who doesn't know, Steve Irwin would become extremely famous, so well-loved, and will always be missed. He was the crocodile hunter. That's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel the world together. And I hope the rest of your month is stupendous. Thanks. Bye. I know you're not-